Turn your Bibles to Philippians chapter 3 again, please. Philippians chapter 3 before we go to John 19. Philippians chapter 3. In another song we sang about the holy child Jesus. And I hope you enjoy those words. The holy child Jesus. That is just another way of saying Jesus is the Son of God. Right. Did they get an answer to that prayer meeting? In Acts chapter 4? Yes, the place was shaken. They went and boldly preached the gospel of Jesus Christ. Philippians 3. We opened this second service with verses 8 through 11. 7 through 11. There are some bad verses in this chapter that I hope don't apply to anyone here. Philippians 3.18 For many walk, of whom I have told you often, and now tell you even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who mind earthly things. Let us not be those belly worshipers. Let us not be those enemies of the cross of Christ by minding earthly things too much. We have to mind earthly things some. We have to work. We have to take care of our homes, take care of our families. But do not let business, money, wealth, home, house, garden, children, grandchildren, any of those things, those are all earthly things. Don't mind them in comparison to minding the Lord Jesus Christ, which means thinking about Him. Paul went on to say, For our conversation is in heaven. Our lifestyle, our manner of living is in heaven. From whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And it goes on to describe what will happen in the great day of resurrection. Now come over to John chapter 19. Let's not be those enemies of the cross of Christ. Here we are reading about the cross of Christ. And do you know what an enemy of the cross of Christ is? Someone who minds earthly things too much. We can mind politics, physical exercise, children, grandchildren, yard, garden, car, house, anything. Let's not mind it in comparison to him. Let our minds be sold out to him. Paul's was. That's why I said, are we almost like Paul or altogether like Paul? You have to take care of all those things. And some of them are pleasant to take care of. But let's not let anything compete with thinking about the Lord Jesus Christ. Marriage is about as good as it gets. You know, if I didn't want to distract you, and I guess now I'm going to, two score and four years ago, God brought forth upon this continent my wife to me in October of 1974. One of the best events that's ever happened to me. But I'm not going to be married in heaven. Do you know what that tells me? He is more important than her. She's pretty important to me. She's made a huge difference in my life. But we're not going to be married in heaven. Right. Hey, you love birds that are getting married on December 1st. You're not going to be married in heaven. So get it over with. <laughs> it's the Lord. It's the Lord. Right. And I'll tell, you, I'll tell you right now, she and I have the best relationship with the Lord. Amen. Right now. There isn't a better subject to talk about. Amen. Did you get a text in Chicago, Adam Green, from my wife last night in the middle of devotions? 
when she found out that the song that she wanted to pick, you'd already picked for her, and we're going to sing it again. We sang, I would rather have Jesus. We're going to sing it again. Amen. Jeff encouraged me, just go ahead and do it. Get it, because I was getting all messed up. Because Adam wasn't able to be here the first service, but he had picked a song, I'd rather have Jesus. Than be a king with a vast domain. Why would you want to be a king with a vast domain? Let the Lord Jesus Christ smile at me once. John 19 and 18 together are John's contribution to the description of the trial, the torture, and the crucifixion, burial, of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I shared this with a few men at break time. The, the Lord taught me a lesson in the last two months about this and why I wanted to make it up to him. When those little girls came out of the woodwork and accused Judge Kavanaugh of things 40 years ago that they couldn't prove. Some were proven to be liars. I got very upset. I did some of the political things that I mentioned last Sunday about that. I was very upset that those little girls were messing up his life and his children, and his wife with their slanderous accusations 40 years old that had never bothered them previously because they didn't do anything about it. Well, the Lord wanted to know why I was so upset about Judge Kavanaugh and wasn't as upset when there was a prophet, a priest, a king, a savior, a judge, a justice, a lord, a master, a teacher, a bishop, a shepherd, that was absolutely perfect, right. which Judge Kavanaugh never was or is, but Jesus Christ was and is. Amen. And why I wasn't quite as worked up. Well, I hope you can see that we're going to be worked up about it as a church because right. I'm worked up about it. And when it said, set it not, and what that man had to go through in Washington a few weeks ago, and how it affected many of us, but it really affected me, I want to be affected by the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. He was absolutely perfect, and they slandered him any way they could, every way they could. They brought witness after witness after witness and could not get their testimonies to agree. They charged him with anything they could think of. And they reduced it to crimes against Caesar, which he, just a few weeks earlier in Matthew 22, had said, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. So if we're going to get worked up about something, let's get worked up about the Lord Jesus Christ. So here's your pastor confessing that he gets worked up sometimes about things he doesn't need to get quite as worked up about. And that he needs to get more worked up about the Word of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. I didn't watch a single second of Clemson putting the worst hurting on Florida State in the history of their football program in Tallahassee. Our Christians from Clemson put a hurting on the Seminoles. They could do all their war chants they wanted to. I didn't watch a bit of it. I just know that it happened, and I know that it set a record for the number of points and stuff you know, and I know that the, the whole world goes crazy over football games about that long-haired 
quarterback of Clemson. What about the Lord Jesus Christ? Right. They, so I want, I'm sh- trying to show you both sides. I got upset about a man being picked on and the public shame. This is the man. Behold, the man being picked on and the public shame. And so I want to be much more provoked, and I am, about him than Justice Kavanaugh. And while I do enjoy competitive sports and watching them and hearing about them and rejoicing in success and domination, never has there been one like the Lord Jesus Christ. There isn't a single, how many balls has he ever fumbled? He hasn't fumbled this ball yet. Right. And you know what he's promised? He's never going to fumble me. Because right. he's not going to... It's called fumbles or fumbles lost. How many is he going to lose? None. None. What kind of a game did he play in? The game of death, sin, hell, and divine justice. And he won. Your Honor, may I approach the bar? Yes, counselor. Remember from last Lord's Day? I can't get over it. It just doesn't make sense to me that he would adopt me. But it's in the Bible, so I believe it. Here we are. Forget all that. I don't want you to forget all that. I want you to think and apply it to yourself. What do you get excited about? And what do you get irritated about when it happens to someone else? It should be far more when it comes to the Lord Jesus Christ in John 18 and 19. John 19 and verse 1. Then Pilate therefore took Jesus and scourged him. And the soldiers plaited a crown of thorns and put it on his head. And they put on him a purple robe and said, Hail, King of the Jews. And they smote him with their hands. We worked our way into the words, Then Pilate therefore took Jesus. But we have some more, to do, some more work to do on it. I appreciate our webmaster who comforted me that my progress in the chapter of 42 verses was not the real progress that mattered. The real progress was, are we thinking and loving the Lord Jesus Christ a little bit more than before we came? And that's the progress we want. So we'll just take it as it goes and we're going to end on time. I will do my best to end on time because I don't want to tire anyone with this subject. I only want to excite everyone with this subject. We learned about Herod, and we learned about Herod and Pilate becoming friends because of their common enemy, Jesus. And we found that in Luke chapter 23, the only place where Herod's mentioned, except the apostles mentioned Herod over in the book of Acts, but uh, not Matthew, Mark, or John, but he is mentioned in uh, Luke chapter 23. We believe that by comparing these passages, it's between John 18 and John 19. Thus, we have in John 18, the first trial before Pilate, and John 19, the second trial before Pilate, and in between is when Pilate sent him to Herod, and Herod sent him back to Pilate again. Let us learn a lesson. Let us learn a lesson about enemies. When a good man causes wicked men to join together, we're going we're to see it again in our lives. Probably we can find other evidences of it in Scripture when there are conspiracies made against the people of God, and in this case, against the Son of God. I gave Psalm 83 as a chapter of Psalms that you could have read last evening. And Psalm 83 runs through a long litany of nations. 
and says how those nations had conspired against the church of God of the Old Testament, the nation of Israel, but that how the Lord Jehovah, and it's one of the rare places in the Bible where we get the word Jehovah, the Lord Jehovah would overthrow those conspiring enemies. It's a great psalm. But we want to see here two enemies. They were at enmity with each other. Pilate, the prefect of Judea, and Herod, the tetrarch of Galilee, were at enmity with each other, but they became friends in their hatred for the Lord Jesus Christ. Pilate's may have been somewhat subdued. Herod's wasn't. What viciousness. The hypocritical and temporary love of Jews for the fourth beast. What was the fourth beast of Daniel 2? That, that was an image. Daniel 7, the Rome. Rome and the Jews there showing their love of Rome. We have no king but Caesar. Those men, the only thing they could think about day and night was waiting for some king to arise to throw Rome off and kill Caesar. We have no king but Caesar. I thought they said they were in, never in bondage to any man. Well, which side of their mouth are you going to listen to? The hypocrisy of them. A common enemy on which to vent envy, hatred, and jealousy marks wicked men. So it's a lesson to be learned by just considering Luke 23 about Herod for a couple of minutes. It can be shocking how the existence of a good man can unite wicked men together because they have a common enemy. Terrible. Terrible. Enemies have conspired against God's church, but he laughs last. The full preaching of Jesus Christ, his person and his doctrine will bring hatred. We have seen it before. We endure it presently. We shall see more of it in the future. Twelve tribes ignored all their competitive and irritating differences to kill four great men. Twelve tribes united wanting to kill Moses, Aaron, Joshua, and Caleb. When the report was given, we can take this land, no problem. But they all united against those four. That is terrible. That was the church of God. Let it never happen to us. Let the word of God be our guide and our love of every good man. We're commanded to love good men. If we live godly lives in Christ Jesus, we shall suffer persecution, 2 Timothy 3.12. Look at Philippians, holding your place at John 19. This is the third reference we want to use from the book of Philippians. Flip back over there to Philippians, the first chapter this time. It's terrible what a good man can do to men that have bad motives, false motives, envy, bitterness, jealousy, grudges. This is a passage that I'm sure you've wondered about before. Paul's in prison, and he says in verse 13 of Philippians 1, so that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace and in all their places. Paul's reputation was getting around as a preacher of the gospel, even in Rome, even in prison. And many of the brethren in the Lord, waxing confident by my bonds, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. If Paul can be in prison for it, surely I can preach out of prison. And so they were preaching more boldly. Verse 15, some indeed preach Christ even of envy and strife. And some also of goodwill. The one, that is envy and strife, preach Christ of contention, not sincerely supposing to add affliction to my bonds. They had personal enmity and jealousy against the Apostle Paul because of God's blessing in his life. 
and his fruit and productivity and laborious efforts that he made, there were preachers that had envy and strife against him. That is terrible that this would ever happen. These men did not preach a lie. They were not preaching false doctrine. They were preaching the true doctrine, the true Christ, with false, with poor motives. They wanted to hurt Paul in prison, knowing that he could not rescue the churches from their overbearing influence, like we read about in 2 Corinthians. These men were not teaching error. Paul would never endorse anyone teaching error, but they were teaching with a bad motive. And they were, and they were brought together by Paul being in trouble in prison. Supposing to add affliction to my bonds. They're not sincere when they preach in the same way that other men are. They think that they're adding affliction to my bonds. But the other, that those that preach of goodwill, knowing that I am set for the defense of the gospel. What then? Notwithstanding, every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached, and I therein do rejoice, yea, and will rejoice. That is a great man. The Apostle Paul did not care about the motives, whether they were true motives or pretentious motives or false motives, to hurt him and to, and to add to his pain in prison, Christ was preached and so he was happy. The point I'm trying to make here is that there's a lesson when we look at Luke 23 and find out Pilate and Herod becoming friends against the Lord Jesus Christ. If you take a stand and live a godly life, according to the Bible, family will turn against you. Family will unite against you. Family that was separate from each other. Enemies. People will come together that never knew each other. They will feed each other to build up the hatred for someone that's the object of their wrath, like Pilate and Herod did against the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's learn the lesson of curiosity. When natural means are used for religious purposes, Herod was very curious about the Lord Jesus Christ. When it said he was exceeding glad to see him, and he had wanted to see him for a long time, it tells us why. He was hoping that he might pull a little magic show for him and do a miracle for him. That's just natural curiosity. That is not spiritual desire for the things of Christ. Do you know the difference? I'm fine. I can go all day. Let me just see if I have enough medication in my pockets to, make, to back that up. I can go all day. Sherry's got the rest in her purse. I'm sorry to have to do that once in a while. If it's what Adam and Fawn told me, the 100-day cough, you're going to be getting a preparatory email on Saturdays talking about my weakness for a long time. That's what they told me. That's the kindness. A 100-day cough. Some of you have been sick about that long with it. I'm very sorry. The lesson of curiosity. You know, over there, Herod was exceeding glad, and he wanted to see him, and he wanted to see if he could get a miracle, and he, he asked him a lot of questions. But let's get past that, brethren. We do our best to weed out those that come our way, want to join our church, say they love the Lord Jesus Christ. We do. We, we, uh, we hold on for quite a while. We hold them out for quite a while. And we want to see if their lives back up what they say and if they really love the Lord Jesus Christ. But I want you to learn to think about that. Right. That curiosity about religion, asking questions, is no evidence of eternal life at all. Right. There can be natural curiosity like Herod had. Jesus wouldn't even answer him. 
Jesus did answer Pilate in both trials. Jesus would not answer Herod. Your children, do not be content with your children saying, yes, yes. Do you love Jesus? Yes. Do you believe that Jesus is the Son of... Yes. You want to see an independent love of Christ in them. We want to see an independent love of Christ in all of us. We don't just want to believe the doctrine. We want to love the Savior. Or we're, not, or we're going to be like Herod, and we're going to be patting little Herods on their backs and telling them they're good. And you know the changes I've tried to make so that I don't baptize little Herods. I don't want to baptize little Herods that say, yeah, they love Jesus, when they've never been tempted. They don't know the slightest thing about discipleship. After I get you to 18, I know that you know a little bit about temptation and discipleship. Remember, it's A&S, authority and sex. If you can handle those two things and have beat those down for the years of your, your teenage years, I'll baptize you at 18. But an eight-year-old doesn't even know what either one of them is. Yep. Not even if you help them out by saying the first half of the sentence. They don't even know what it is. And now when I talk to a 16-year-old and say, are you different than you were when you were eight? They roll their eyes in agreement with me. Because we don't want natural curiosity being a good enough. It's not good enough. That's not a work of grace. A work of grace is a changed life. A work of grace is changed motives, changed desires, affection for Jesus Christ, the love of spiritual things. It puts joy on a person's face. It puts a bounce in their walk. It makes them want to read the Bible to learn more about Jesus Christ. They want to talk about Jesus Christ to others. And we want to push for more of that. I'm sorry for getting a little bit off track here, but I am not going to let Herod and his natural carnal curiosity slip by us without me getting a practical application out of it. Brethren, I don't care if they can pass their packets about religion. I don't care if they're getting an A at some Christian school in religion. Do they love the Lord Jesus Christ? Do they live for him? When they sin, are they grieved most of all because they sinned against Jesus Christ their Lord? Look for all those things. Look for those things. Let's learn the lesson of curiosity when natural means are used for religious purposes. Do you know what most churches do today? They're looking for Herods. Do you know what they call seekers? Herods. You ought to go read their definition of what a seeker is. It's little Herods that they want to fill their churches with. So they give them music. They give them music at an ear-splitting level of volume. They give them entertainment. They give them Starbucks. They let them wear whatever they want to. They let them come late in the day. There's no requirements on them at all because they're just appealing to that natural curiosity. And we want to stay away from that. We want to be like Paul and preach Jesus Christ boldly and plainly. I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. But God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. I don't want to glory in anything else. Those two things I want to exalt. And so when we preached and looked at and studied the higher ground for our church, with 25 things the New Testament teaches, what was number one? Preeminence of Jesus Christ. That Jesus Christ is first in our church. And you want that in your children, and we don't want to appeal to those that don't have Jesus Christ first. Listen, doctrine can be, the devils believe doctrine, but who loves the Lord Jesus? The devils don't love the Lord Jesus Christ. So we want to make that difference. We want to be a triumphant saver. Let us never modify truth. 2 Corinthians 2, 14 through 17 says the preaching of Jesus Christ, when it's preached plainly, 
unvarnished, the way the Bible presents it, will be a saver of death unto death. Reprobates will not like it and be able to endure it for the most part. It'll be a saver of life unto life because regenerate elect will love it and it will prove their life. It is never a saver of death unto life. And the last verse of that passage is, let us not be as many which corrupt the word of God in order to keep the ones that are dead around. We don't want to do that. And so we're going, to, we're going to be weeding people out all the time. And I hope that you're with me in it. Amen. We want lovers of Jesus Christ here. When before the Jews, it was the resurrection. When Paul preached to Jews, he'd bring up the resurrection, whether he was on trial or in a synagogue. When he was before Greeks, he'd bring up the resurrection of Jesus Christ. When he was with Felix, it caused him fear about righteousness, temperance, and judgment to come. Those are the three subjects Paul picked with the governor Felix. Righteousness, that you live the way as defined by God's word. Temperance, that you'll deny your lusts and what everyone else in the Roman government's doing. And judgment to come, you're going to pay for it if you don't do it my way. And so we're, we're, right now we're considering some of the things we learned about looking at Herod from Luke 23. And I know it's outside of John 18 and 19, but it's right there between those two chapters. We do not want anyone coming here to Greenville or joining us for mere friendliness, but for their love of the Lord Jesus Christ. We don't want to identify with Jesus only by doctrine, but by changed lives for him. Pilate still wanted to release Jesus, for he stated so again after this. Look at verse 4. Verse 4, I find no fault in him. Verse 6, I find no fault in him. Verse 8 through 10, it tells us, that he sought to release him. Verse 12, he sought to release him. And so we know this about Pilate. Then Pilate therefore took him, took Jesus. When he came back from Herod, Pilate took him and knew that he was now put in the awkward situation of proceeding with a second trial before these Jews to see if he could come up with something that could allow him to let Jesus go free. And so he did. As it's said in Luke, I'll chastise him and let him go. So he scourged him. He abused the Lord Jesus Christ less and short of death in the hopes that the Jews would let him off the hook and let Jesus Christ be released instead of Barabbas. Oh, and he ends up crucifying him anyway. You know, when you're tempted with one sin and you think that a lesser sin will somehow take care of you or get you off the hook, think again about this passage right here where Pilate thought that the lesser sin of scourging a man that I find no fault in him and letting him be abused by his soldiers and a crown of thorn on his his head and mocking him was going to save him from crucifixion, but it ended up, he ended up doing both to him. Lord, we thank you for going to the cross for us this way. We thank you for it. Luke records that Pilate had declared Jesus had no faults three times. Pilate used this scourging that we have here in verse 1 to placate the Jews, to exalt his interrogation of Jesus, to show them how serious he was and that he had really punished Jesus for them in hopes that he could save his life. (coughs) I will chastise him and let him go. Pilate had some faults, but he did try to free Jesus. Pilate therefore took him and scourged him. The scourging here was after Jesus came back from Herod. 
Pilate wanted to release him, but Pilate scourged him to placate the Jews. What is a scourging? Oh, you know, there is one interesting, and there's several things that we can learn from just thinking about scourging. The Lord scourges us. Do you know that when you get to Hebrews chapter 12, the word that he uses there is not spank? It's not take away your allowance? What's that other punishment when you keep them at home and they can't go out? Ground them. Oh yeah, ground them. It's not ground them. It's not take away their allowance. It's called scourging. And sometimes the Lord's chastening of us is serious. But I heard a brother, I heard a brother pray this morning. I think he's a son to some. A son pray this morning that whatever you've got to do, Lord, whatever you've got to do, do it to help me love your son more and to wean me from the things of this life. And Lord, that's true. Lord, we mean that. Have mercy upon us and remember our frame that we are dust, but do draw us to your son, Jesus Christ. What is scourging? It is a severe form of punishment short of death or dismemberment. It's to be whipped and lashed, to be beat with a scourge, to whip severely, to flog. If you look at all those different words of bringing down an instrument on a person's back. But when it's scourging, it's a particular kind of instrument. It's a scourge. That's why it's called scourging. You know, there's been different names given to it over time. And sometimes the British have called it a cat of nine tails. A whip with nine knotted lashes that had little bits of bone or metal or wood in those knots on those lashes tied to a wooden handle so that you could get a lot of force in it. Now Jesus knew about scourges because the Romans were in charge of Judea so that when Jesus saw the money changers of the temple in John chapter 2, he sat down and made himself a scourge. Now a real scourge is going to have a wooden handle. It can be long enough for two hands. It can be long enough for one, but you can grab those long lashes that are tied to that thing and there could be nine, seven, There could be some number. They could have bits of metal or bone in them so that they rip the back off a person. They can expose the organs from the back. They can lay bare the bone. And they bring out enormous amount of blood. And so the first thing we're told in John, Pilate therefore took Jesus and scourged him. That's the first thing we're told in the Gospel of John. And we could go through the Bible and look at all kinds of references about it, but I don't think it's necessary. You know, there were beatings done by the Jews, and there were beatings done by the Romans. But the Lord had a limit on the Jews. Look at Deuteronomy 25. Deuteronomy 25. You know, there's a lesson here, and I don't don't want to get distracted too much with lessons. I hope I haven't distracted you with the lesson of curiosity because I want you to be teaching your children and teaching your spouse and asking yourself more than, do you have more than natural curiosity? Do you really have a spiritual craving for Jesus Christ? And if you're a child of God, that can be repented of that you don't have it and you can beg for God the Holy Spirit to give it to you. And that is what the epistle of Ephesians is about. Ephesians has two mentions of the Holy Spirit in each chapter about building up your closeness with God and more being revealed to you of Jesus Christ's love for you. And I've preached about that recently, and you can go find it on our website. And I have mentioned about enemies. You know, and here we are again in Deuteronomy 25, and it's a great lesson about how child discipline can even take place in the home. I'll just leave it there. You know, public is much better than private. 
Deuteronomy 25.1, If there be a controversy between men, and they come unto judgment, that the judges may judge them, then they shall justify the righteous and condemn the wicked. That's what good judges ought to do. That's what good parents ought to do. That's what Pilate should have done. And it shall be, if the wicked man be worthy to be beaten, that the judge shall cause him to lie down and to be beaten before his face, according to his fault, by a certain number. So if you were five over in a school zone, you know you're going to get five. Whatever the judge called for. Forty stripes he may give him and not exceed. Lest, if he should exceed and beat him above these with many stripes, then thy brother should seem vile unto thee. So God put a limit of 40 stripes. If you went above 40, it's what we would call cruel and unusual punishment. So there was a limit on it. The, the law of God in the Bible is fantastic. Amen. That's why I love Psalm 119 and verse 66. Teach me good judgment. Because this is good judgment right here. If a judge was angry, or if a judge had personal animosity against some criminal, he couldn't exceed 40, because it would look vile to go past 40. But let me tell you something about the Romans that scourged Jesus Christ. They had no such law. Right. In 2 Corinthians 11, when Paul described his beatings by the Romans, he said, five times was I beaten, 40 stripes save one. Because the, Ro the Jewish superstition was to avoid exceeding 40 will only do it 39 times to put one in there for comfort. They were scrupulous about being righteous. So they only beat Paul five times. It says laugh. That's how wicked the Jews were. 39, 39 stripes, but they did it to poor Paul five times. And so when we look at the Lord Jesus Christ, it's Pilate in charge. But there's a good lesson right there about uh, discipline. You know, if you go too far in discipline and you're too angry, you're going to be vile. And the Bible tells us in the New Testament very easily, in Ephesians and Colossians, you will discourage and provoke your children to anger. Right. Taught in the Old Testament. The Bible is a fantastic closed system of truth. If you'll read the whole thing and learn it, you don't want to be vile to your children by getting mad and out of control and disciplining more than the cause, more than their crime. You cannot make up for depravity with a, with a spanking. Right. Depravity is depravity. The Lord's going to have to make up for it. And you can't make up for 10 different things they've done wrong by taking it out on them for one thing they did wrong because if they're young enough, they can't even comprehend those other nine things. They have forgotten them long ago. Just, anyway, the Romans had no such merciful rule that we know of, and so we don't know how many times our Lord was struck. I've, I've described it a little bit. It, it would have tore the Lord Jesus Christ up. When he brought him out, you know, he had that purple robe on or a scarlet robe, whichever gospel you want to read. If, if the robe that was on the Lord Jesus Christ was half scarlet and half purple, which gospel writer lied? That's how I read the Bible. It doesn't matter one bit. Our practical scourging can be called, our practical chastening of the Lord can be called scourging as it is in Hebrews chapter 12. Now look at Isaiah 50. And I know Brother Bryant read it to us today. But Isaiah 50, you know, it describes that, and so does 53, about the beatings that our Lord Jesus Christ took. The scourging, the whipping. 
Isaiah chapter 50 and verse 6. Some of you, when you read this verse, you can hear the Messiah playing in your memory because this verse is in the Messiah. Part of this verse is not recorded in the New Testament. So this is, this is all we get about it right here. Isaiah 50 and verse 6, I gave my back to the smiters. That was fulfilled, John 19 and verse 1. Then Pilate took him, therefore, and scourged him. And my cheeks to them that plucked off the hair. We're not told about that in the four gospel accounts, but we're told about it right here, and this should be good enough to you right here, even if it's not in the gospel accounts. Jesus had his beard ripped off. It wasn't plucked a hair at a time with tweezers. It was ripped off, plucked off. They didn't take any time with the Lord Jesus Christ. They weren't trying to be nice to him. They were trying to hurt him and abuse him and mock him. And for a man in those days to be without his beard, that was a mockery. Go read about the Ammonites and David on a particular occasion. And then the third clause, I hid not my face from shame and spitting. And we do have the spitting recorded in Matthew 27 and Mark 15. But here it is in one verse. Look at these three things that happened to Jesus Christ. I gave my back to the smiters. I was scourged. My cheeks then plucked off the hair. My beard was ripped off. I hid not my face from shame and spitting. I didn't end it by doing anything that they wanted to avoid the spitting. I just let it happen. That was our Lord's choice to humiliate himself for us. Look at Isaiah 53. Verse 5. But he was wounded for our transgressions. What can we put under wounds? All of it. Hit with their hands. Crown of thorns that's coming up. Scourged. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities with a scourge bruise. Would hit him with the hand bruise. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. <coughs> what chastisement? Pilate said, I will chastise him and let him go. What did Pilate mean I will do to him and then let him go? Scourge him. And with his stripes we are healed. What does a scourge leave on your body? Stripes on your back. Isaiah 53 and verse 5. Do you know what Philip got to do with that Ethiopian eunuch in the chariot in the desert? He got to tell him about the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you know how it says, and Philip preached Jesus to him? Because it was this passage of scripture right here. Isaiah 53. That eunuch had come from Ethiopia, had bought scripture, got his hands on some scripture, and he's reading it going back to Ethiopia after being, after being in Jerusalem to worship. And, and Philip got to explain to him the way of God more perfectly that those scriptures that you had read in the synagogue or the temple when you were there in Jerusalem, they're fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ. This verse right here, he, this, is, this is Philip with the eunuch. This Isaiah 53 in verse 5, this is how Jesus suffered. John 19, 1 is going to be written, and it's going to say, Then Pilate took Jesus, therefore, and scourged him. And so there was scourging in here, and there was punching him in the face, and the other things that they did to the Lord Jesus Christ. But the Bible had already prophesied of these things, and so they were fulfilled. And you know, Jesus had told his apostles, which gospel do you want to try, Matthew, Mark, or Luke? Let's go to Matthew. Matthew chapter 20. Matthew chapter 20 and verse 19, that he would be scourged. He lived his life knowing this was coming. Children, when their mother tells them, wait till your father gets home. You know, they live in something like purgatory, 
between their mother saying that and when the father gets home. Jesus knew it his whole life. I must be about my father's business. And he told his apostles this in Matthew chapter 20 and verse 19. You know, if we go up to verse 17, we get the context. Jesus going up to Jerusalem, took the 12 disciples apart in the way and said unto them, you know, they are on their, they're walking the 80 miles from the Sea of Galilee near sea level up in altitude to Jerusalem. And they stop and Jesus pulls them aside and says, I'm going to tell you what's coming. I've got to tell you what's coming. Behold, we go up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man shall be betrayed unto the chief priests and unto the scribes, and they shall condemn him to death. Remember, John 18, he's worthy of death because he's guilty of blasphemy. Then they changed it when they went to Pilate and said he was guilty of sedition. Verse 19, and shall deliver him to the Gentiles, that is Caiaphas and the chief priests delivering Jesus to Pilate, shall deliver him to the Gentiles to mock and to scourge and to crucify him, and the third day he shall rise again. Jesus knew about this. That's why I mentioned when a child knows that something's coming, even you know that when you're on a road that has a dip that, that, that affects your stomach, when you go over it, you're already starting to feel it before the car is actually moving over it. And it actually makes it worse because you're thinking about it when it happens. When, you, when it happens by surprise, it's not nearly as much as, oh, here it comes, and your stomach does that little twirl. But the Lord Jesus knew he was going to be scourged. It was prophesied of him. He knew the scriptures. At 12, he was reasoning out of the law with the doctors of the law. And he told his apostles by pulling them aside on the way to Jerusalem, we're going up to Jerusalem, and this is what's going to happen up there. Can you imagine that moment when he told them, and he knew it his whole life, but he willingly did it and chose to submit to it for you and for me. Right. I gave my back to the smiters. He didn't fight. He didn't writhe all over the place. He gave his back to them. He was like a lamb to the slaughter and like a sheep before her shears is dumb. So the Lord opened not his mouth. Why did he need to be scourged? Couldn't they just have crucified him? Couldn't God have just arranged for him to be crucified? Couldn't God have arranged for the Romans to use a guillotine? Wouldn't you love a guillotine compared to crucifixion? I like a guillotine. I like the French for one thing. Well, we can get butter in there. But they have a guillotine. You know, in England, the guy might miss a little bit as he's swinging that big axe. But a guillotine doesn't miss. That razor blade comes down with lots of weight and it just takes your head cleanly off. Why wasn't Jesus killed by the French? Why wasn't Jesus killed by the Persians that buried them alive? Why wasn't Jesus killed by the Babylonians in Nebuchadnezzar's fiery furnace? Because he had to be scourged and then crucified to be lifted up from the earth. Right. He had to give his back to the smiters. We had to have our peace. The result of his chastisement with his stripes, we are healed. It's just beautiful. It's beautiful. Jeff and I were talking at break time about God's whole organization of world empires to have the Roman Empire in place at the right time for the crucifixion of his son Jesus Christ up in the air. 
The Jews would have stoned him on the ground. Bones would have been broken, and he wouldn't have been lifted up. Buried alive like the Persians, wouldn't have been lifted up from the earth. In a fiery furnace. None of that's described. All these scriptures were perfectly fulfilled, including John 19.1. And then Pilate, therefore, took Jesus and scourged him to fulfill the scriptures. Why would Jesus have to be whipped for additional pain and shame before crucifixion? Because it pleased the Lord to bruise him. It doesn't say it pleased the Lord to kill him. That's understood in Hebrews chapter 10, Hebrews chapter 9. It pleased the Lord to bruise him. And so he was bruised by his trial and his torture, there by the, first the Jews and then the Gentiles. We should have been whipped for additional suffering and pain before going to hell. You deserve it. You deserve suffering and pain before you get to go to hell for our sins. The Lord Jesus Christ bore that for us. We were the ones that did not do our Father's will. Thus, the Bible says that we are worthy of many stripes. Jesus always did his Father's will and was worthy of no stripes. Do you understand that math? Do you understand the math? We never did our Father's will like we should have, so we were worthy of many stripes. We should have got the scourging. Jesus Christ always did those things that pleased his Father, but he's the one that got the scourging. He took ours because we deserved it and he didn't. He who knew no sin was made sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. This is the most wonderful drama. This is the most wonderful matter. This is the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus our Lord. John 18 and John 19. Jesus always did his Father's will perfectly, but he was scourged for our rebellion. Pilate scourged Jesus to avoid condemning him to death, or so he thought, but it rather ended our condemnation. Think about it. Jesus being scourged and Jesus being crucified ended our condemnation. We were made free. We get to mock death. He didn't get to mock death. We get to mock death because he died for us. We get to mock the grave because he died for us and went into a grave. Paul desired the fellowship of his sufferings, and he did by stripes. Paul was beaten all those times, five times, 40 minus one, three times with rods. Paul was beaten. And like we're told in Acts chapter 5 and verse 41, they rejoiced that they were counted worthy to suffer a beating like Jesus Christ had taken. Are you willing to suffer for the cause of Jesus Christ? Hebrews 13, 13 says, let us go outside the camp. We're going to have to leave other people. They're going to call us all kinds of names. There's going to be separation of friends and separation of family. Are you ready to go outside the camp and bear his reproach? He bore reproach for us. He wants to know if we'll bear a little reproach for him. This is John 19 and verse 1. May the Lord bless the, the preaching of his word, the reading of his word, the singing of songs about the Lord Jesus Christ, the prophet of your souls. Do not be a curious, natural hearer about Jesus Christ. Examine yourself to make sure that you truly love him.
are committed to him, would do anything for him. You want to talk about him, promote him, defend him, and make him the preeminent one and the preeminent subject in our church. The Lord bless the preaching of his word. Amen.